The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. MediTalk podcast is about learning information that can assist us to make more empowered decisions about our medical care and pursue changes in our lives that can better our quality of life and our health. So I wondered, can our emotional intelligence affect our health? We spoke with Sue Langley, who is an internationally recognised keynote speaker, global consultant and positive leadership expert. Sue is accredited strengths profile practitioner and holds a number of qualifications in her field, including a master's degree in neuroscience of leadership from Middlesex University. So thanks for joining us today, Sue. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. I just feel amongst even people I know, everyone just relates EQ to corporate success. And I don't think a lot of us really are really thinking about the health connection. How long has emotional intelligence been been out there? Yeah, look, that's a really good question, Danae. And I think emotional intelligence has been out there for as long as human beings have been human beings, because whether we like it or not, we are emotional beings. Um, And most of what we um, think is rational is actually driven by our more intuitive or our limbic system, which is our more emotional center. But I suppose officially, uh, emotional intelligence, the the phrase was first coined in English um, by Jack Mayer and Peter Swovey in 1990. Um, And that was when they first tried to operationalize it, if you like. So in order to research something, obviously, you've got to operationalize it so you know what you're researching and that everybody can sort of be measuring a similar thing as opposed to one person actually measuring optimism and one person actually measuring personality and so on. So um, in 1990 was the original definition, um, the original sort of research base for emotional intelligence. In 1995, it became very popular because Daniel Goleman wrote a book about uh, EQ, why it matters more than uh, IQ. Um, So really looked at emotional intelligence from a, um, what does it do for us? How does it help us in work and life performance, etc.? And that's when it probably became very popular. Um, And um, admittedly, his initial book probably went further than the research actually said. There was a bit of arguments going on between Jack Mayer and Dan Goldman at the time. You know, this has not quite, you know, been researched yet. Um, There is another weird anomaly in that 1963, I think it was, um, a paper did come out in a German publication that did use the term emotional quotient. um, And they seemed to think that women didn't have any. Um, but that was a very different definition to the one that we've got now that uh, does not say that. So what is emotional intelligence then when people refer to it? What does it mean? The way that I think of it is in very simple terms, it's the intelligent use of emotions. Whether we like it or not, we all have emotions. Every minute of every day, you're experiencing moods and emotions and feelings, um, most of which you're not even paying attention to because you're engrossed in other things. But our emotional center of our brain really does drive us. Um, even that intuition of why we prefer one dessert over another has an emotional base, if you like. The reward center of our brain, which pushes us to do certain things or not do certain things, um, is driven by emotions. So the way I think of it is um, the intelligent use of emotions. 
Now, of course, if you look at some of the models and the frameworks over there uh, or that are out there, some of some of them will indicate different things. So different models will have different frameworks behind them, different interpretations. And in the emotional intelligence space, there is what's known as pure models of emotional intelligence, which focus on the original definition and the original research around emotions. And then there are what's known as mixed models of emotional intelligence. And they tend to incorporate other things like maybe personalities or other traits that are not strictly emotional intelligence. Doesn't mean they're wrong, but it means that they're mixed in with other, as I say, possibly personality traits or other particular traits. And so is your emotional intelligence something that's inherited or is it how are we being emotionally intelligent? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, And as with anything, I'm sure there is a a certain element of the nature versus nurture debate. Um, But I think that the interesting thing is you do inherit, I suppose, for want of a better word, as a human being, you inherit an emotional part of your brain. So when your brain develops, you get your reptilian brain, your limbic system and your prefrontal cortex, which all sort of build. And that limbic system is part of who you are. Um, Your reptilian and your limbic system actually develop first when a baby is being sort of generated and growing, if you like, inside. You've already got that emotional intelligence or that emotional part of the brain starting to develop. Now, there's lots of things, of course, that can influence this, which some people may say is nurture and some people may say nature. But even... um, how healthy the mum is while the baby is growing um, will have an influence um, because obviously there'll be certain parts of the brain that may not grow quite so well if the mum isn't looking after themselves or if there's addictions or problems um, in there as well. Um, But if you think about emotional intelligence generally and how we get it, it will often be by things you see and you learn um, once you're growing up. So, you know, I often say to people, um, you know, it's all very well saying that people should learn resilient strategies and they should build their emotional management and all this sort of thing. And and I could use a very Western, um, you know, white middle class view of, you know, we should all just pull up our socks and, you know, choose your attitude and all those sorts of, you know, sort of guru-esque Um, comments that sometimes get made, um, you know, positive thinking, we should all do that. But if you imagine growing up from an emotional perspective, you learnt that when you're angry, you punch and kick things. And when you're sad, you drink a bottle of vodka. That's your strategies. So what we've got to consider is that people learn a lot of their emotional intelligence skills and strategies, sometimes for the better um, and sometimes for the worse. The good thing is, um, obviously, I believe, because I've been in this space for 17 years now, I absolutely believe you can train it and you can improve it. And I've seen it in many people and I've seen it in myself. Well, that's good news. So how does it actually play out your emotional intelligence in your everyday life in regards to your health? You brought up a really good example of how we're feeling might make us more prone to go and want to eat, you know, a bar of chocolate versus an apple, for instance. Is that sort of what you're meaning in terms of your health? Yeah, and it could be many things. So if you think of yourself when you're in your best mood, when you're in a positive emotional state, whatever that is for you, you'll probably find that you are far better at making more positive choices. So you do go for that run you promised yourself. When you look in your fridge and you see all the fruit and veggies in there, you do make yourself a nice healthy salad or something. I can guarantee you if you're in a grumpy, miserable, negative mood, when you open that fridge, however much salad is in there, you still want to reach for the pizza or the fried or the this, that and the other because um, our emotions really do influence um, how able we are to self-regulate. 
Now, if you think of that from a mental health perspective or a physical health perspective, um, the choices we make every day of what we do or don't do um, will absolutely have a long-term effect. So let's imagine I'm not so good at emotional management. So that's one of the key um, uh, skills or abilities, if you like, around emotional intelligence is managing my emotions. And let's imagine when I feel sad or when I feel down or when I've had a stressful day, my natural coping mechanism is to reach for food or drink, then that generally means my self-regulation is not doing so well and it's going to have an impact on my physical health and it's probably going to have an impact on my mental health. Um, but equally, if you go the other way and you imagine um, you're at work and you're really good at managing your emotions, you've just got a tricky email or something that means you know there's rumor of a restructure or something and you're feeling a bit stressed, um, but you're able to go for a quick walk um, reassure yourself that for the moment you have a job, so we'll worry about the restructure when and if we hear anything. But for now, I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to get back into what I've got to do and I'm going to show what an awesome job I can do. You will perform better. You will hand in your, um, you know, your reports or your projects or whatever it is on time um, because you've managed your emotions. You haven't let them distract you, which means chances are if there is a restructure, you're more likely to get to stay because you've been performing well. Um, you know, and that's a very generic sort of example, but it happens every single day with the choices that we make. And unfortunately, we're often unaware of how much our emotions play a part in our choices. Yeah, I was just about to say, so much of it we'd be doing very subconsciously, but is that about becoming more self-aware? That's another cornerstone of assessing your emotional intelligence? Yeah, look, absolutely. So if you think of the way that a lot of the models work, one of the first steps is always uh, either perceiving emotions or self-awareness or whatever people, you know, different models will call them different things. I like to think of it as perceiving emotions. So can I perceive my emotions? So for instance, I know myself, if I'm tired, exhausted, I, I use the phrase low on dopamine. So my, my dopamine levels are low in my brain. I come home late. I look in my fridge. I see all this healthy stuff and I um, turn to my partner and I go, I want pizza. Sometimes I'll go, I'm feeling really tired right now. I'm not in the best of moods. I'm going to ask you for pizza. That's really not what I want. Or I'll say to him, I'm really well aware that I'm tired right now and I just want pizza, okay? <laughs> um, so, you know, sometimes you can actually acknowledge that you know how you're feeling and you're going to try and make a choice accordingly um, or you know how you're feeling and can somebody help you not make that choice? <laughs> Support you through the process. Yeah, absolutely. But the first thing is you have to kind of be aware that those emotions are driving you. And I know on some of our programs, um, we've sort of created some little activities that we, we use around this of um, helping people see how many emotions they experience in a 24-hour period. And we do a little exercise and normally people write down a whole bunch of words, etc. And then we do the second part of the exercise and they usually find they double or triple the amount of words. And it's bringing that awareness and saying, actually, I did feel that. Oh, my God, I hadn't even paid attention. But yes, I did. I was feeling loved. I was feeling blessed. I was feeling anxious. And sometimes we kind of um, ignore it and it's not necessarily conscious, but absolutely we're experiencing it. So what are some of the most accurate ways of assessing someone's emotional intelligence? Because I'm very wary of if you Google emotional intelligence, suddenly, you know, all these different questionnaires pop up. And, uh, you know, what would be wonderful is if you can give us some guidance about if we were wanting to have a look at our emotional intelligence, what's your guidance of where people should look? 
Yeah, and to be honest, you're absolutely right. There are lots of different tools and tests out there. There are little inventories and self-reports and all sorts of things. There's even some you can do through Facebook or online that, you know, will accurately assess your emotional intelligence. I would probably avoid some of those. <laughs> the one, the, the framework that I like is the original Mass Alavi Caruso Emotional Intelligence Test Framework. Um, and the reason I like it and the, the way we can assess our um, emotional intelligence is because it's what's known as an abilities-based test. So if you think about um, the way that we measure emotional intelligence, often what we do is we ask you, for instance, a series of questions about how good are you at perceiving emotions in other people? Please score yourself on a scale of one to seven. Or um, how well would you manage your emotions in this scenario? Score yourself on a scale of one to seven. That's a really common um, way of assessing EI. The only challenge with that is we also know that actually human beings are not very good at self-report or assessment. Um, if you actually look at the correlation between people's IQ and their self-report of IQ, it's about 0.17, which is seriously low, like zero being no good at all and one being perfect. We're at 0.17. We're not good. And it's the same correlation between emotional intelligence. We're actually not good. So if you ask me the question of how good am I at perceiving emotions in people's faces, I could go, oh, yeah, I'm awesome, seven out of seven. But the, the framework that I like will actually give you a question that shows you a picture of someone's face and says, tell me what they're feeling. Now, how much better than that can you get? <laughs> and I must admit I've, I've done it myself and having gone through the process, it's, um, I would have been one of those people that thought, yeah, I can read people pretty well. <laughs> and then when I actually did the mesquite assessment myself, I was like, wow, this is an area I really actually have to work on. So I think uh, I can speak to that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so what does the research suggest between EQ and, and our health? Yeah, so look, that's a good question. And there is quite a bit of research that's sort of linking into this about how our emotions affect it. And again, often from that self-regulation perspective, um, uh, from a um, the choices that I make that can then influence our health. Um, but also, if you think about it, we know that um, emotions influence us physically. So if you consider yourself when you're feeling anxious, you will probably experience a bunch of physiological markers. Your heart rate may increase. You might get sweaty palms. You might breathe more sort of shallow and quicker. You might find yourself feeling tense. Your throat might close. All of those sort of physiological changes that can impact us just when we experience an emotion. Well, if you imagine that you spend 50% of your time feeling anxious, you can only then consider what's happening to you physically. So if, if you're spending a lot of time in those negative emotions, the fear, the anxiety, the stress, the pressure, all sorts of things are starting to happen in your body. And that's not just the physical things like you feel your heart rate going faster or you feel your breathing change, but it's also the chemicals that we're producing. You know, uh, overindulgence of adrenaline and cortisol can have long-term impacts on our health. Um, and don't get me wrong, these neurotransmitters are absolutely fabulous in genuine stressful environments. You need adrenaline to get you out of them. You need cortisol to help um, prime, if you like, the primary systems and, and pull back on the secondary systems because we need those things. But if you imagine you're um, experiencing a lot of stress and pressure and anxiety for three months um, in your role, all of that adrenaline and that cortisol in your system is going to have an impact on your cells. It's going to have an impact on um, you experiencing consistent increased heart rate, consistent increased breathing. It's probably going to have an impact on how your brain develops 
because we know that even three months of intense stress can lead to uh, increase in um, size and capacity of the amygdala and a decrease in size and capacity of your hippocampus, which is your memory center. Um, so it can have an impact on your physical and your mental health, absolutely. So is that why um, there seems to be this movement of mindfulness as therapy or uh, treatment for anxiety? Would you think that's probably that perhaps practising more mindfulness helps with anxiety because it does actually slow down your heart rate, slow down your blood pressure? Yeah, absolutely. So it triggers the parasympathetic nervous system, which is basically the, the calm um, side of your body, if you like, when you're feeling calm. Now, um, don't get me wrong, we teach mindfulness and there's a lot of research around that. Um, the one thing that I will say is I see mindfulness as a strategy around building your emotional management. Um, it is one strategy. There are many others. So sometimes we can get caught up and, oh, God, I must practice mindfulness because that's, you know, the thing. Um, but um, what we tend to teach is a smorgasbord of strategies. Now, I know myself... Um, going for a walk on the beach, paddling my feet, being in water, sometimes even going for a run. I run around barefoot on an oval near me and that is very mindful even though I'm moving. Um, you might find some of the strategies that you have is um, reading a book. I love doing puzzles. That completely takes me out of anything else. I don't, you know, my, my body is in that parasympathetic state when I'm doing it. So what we need to consider, there are many strategies we can use, but you're absolutely right. Anything we can do that can... Um, focus or calm our physical or our mental state um, can be very beneficial for managing our emotions and therefore can improve us from a health perspective as well. Quite often we think about the physiological symptoms that we're feeling and sometimes it's just having that self-awareness of well, what are the emotions that perhaps might be relating to that versus I don't know if we'd pay much attention to that and that's why I really wanted to have a chat with you about this today. Yeah, look, we often don't pay attention and I think it's one of the first steps is, for instance, if your body is feeling lethargic or heavy, etc., that might be a signal that you're feeling sad or down or grief over something. Um, if your body is feeling tense, you might be feeling angry or anxious about something. You know, so the way that we describe it when we teach this, and this is why I call it the intelligent use of emotions, is if you're experiencing a physiological uh, feeling, if you like, something is going on in your body, it's often your body trying to tell you something. Um, and what we tend to do, because we try and pretend we're all rational beings, is we ignore it. But actually, your body is trying to let you know that something's off. And we've all had that. We sometimes call it intuition. And, and an obvious one is um, you're recruiting somebody. So if you've ever been in a situation where you're recruiting somebody and you have what, you, what we call a gut instinct, that the person, even though on paper they look perfect, they're giving the right answers, but your gut instinct says something's off. All that is is your emotional radar picking up on something that you're not consciously aware of and there's a physiological sensation in you that's sending a message through to your brain that's going, something's not right here. But as I say, um, and we've hopefully many of us have listened to that intuition, um, but often on a day-to-day -day basis, we don't, we don't listen to the fact that our body is tired. And I don't mean tired because you've run a marathon, but tired because something's going on in your family and it's, um, you're feeling sad because um, you feel a sense of loss of a relationship that you once valued or something and it seems to have changed. And we're not actually stopping to acknowledge that that sort of weight in our body is actually linked to the sadness over the relationship or something else completely. But you know, do you know what I mean? Like the emotions give you a clue. They're trying to tell you something and our job is to listen.
And have you had a client where perhaps they had, you know, an aching back or heaviness in their shoulders and then when you've done some work with them, suddenly they're not feeling, when they're starting to actually work on their emotional feelings and their emotional self, that it can alleviate their physical ailments? Absolutely. I've had quite a few um, interesting ones over the years. Um, but one that's sort of closest to you described, she's a lovely lady. Um, she came on a one-day Foundations of Emotional Intelligence program we were running. I think she was up in Brisbane. And um, she spent, I can't show you because we're not on video, but she spent the, the entire day, her posture was her sort of elbows on the table. She was very upright and, and quite rigid and her jaw was quite, strong and almost clenched and she was totally engrossed in what we were doing and she was participating but you could almost feel the the tension in her body and when she spoke it was sort of like you can hear me speaking now there was all this sort of tension and, and uprightness etc and afterwards um she came up to me and she she very nicely said thank you very much that's an excellent day she said i have a question she said i've been feeling angry for the last year and i'm not sure why and i said to her i can <laughs> because her whole body was just holding this tension and energy. So all we did, um, and then it was up to her to go away and practice, but all we did is we worked on, okay, let's just open your jaw a few times. Let's just relax that. Let's just breathe and allow your arms to unclench, your shoulders to unclench, whatever. And it hadn't even occurred to her that she was holding all this tension in her body. Now, don't get me wrong. It wasn't as simple as, you know, two minutes and she was cured. But she went away and she practiced and she started to notice when she started holding herself in this sort of tense. And because she was very driven, she was very um, uh, ambitious, etc. She had a lot of movement, action, drive going on, but she seemed to feel she had to hold it physically. Um, so once we sort of got to grips with that, then the anger started to reduce because she was no longer tense. And it's really hard to hold anger in your system when you're breathing and your body's in a relaxed state. And they've even done research that you cannot maintain anger in your system with six deep belly breaths for in slow for six, out slow for six, six times. You cannot maintain anger in your system because anger requires tension. Now, if you can teach someone to undo those physical elements, you can sometimes help them to undo the emotional or mental elements as well. I was about to say, and it's just not healthy to be angry all the time, is it? No. Um, so, yeah, that's very powerful, isn't it? Just knowing that six deep breaths, that's all it takes. Take the time to have six deep breaths. Yeah, and then practicing it. And it's the same with um, a lot of people when they get anxiety disorders. People then get anxious about feeling anxious. Yes. But if you think about um, excitement, the emotion of excitement has very similar physiological markers to anxiety. So sometimes almost recognizing that sometimes when we feel excited, it's actually excited. It's a good thing. But what happens is sometimes people who've experienced a lot of anxiety, every time they feel excited, they link it to anxiety, in which case then everything starts to feel anxious and you get anxious about feeling anxious. Whereas if we can start to notice the difference in our body of what does it feel like when we're excited and can we start to pull ourselves more towards the positive and it's not to say we can't experience negative emotions. So if you think of nervous, nervous is a classic one. Yeah, nervous can go down a negative path, i.e. you can get very anxious and fearful and then stop yourself doing something. Or you can feel nervous and put it with excitement and then it encourages you to go forward. You know, if you think about a ride at a 
you know, theme park. Yes. Nervous is a classic emotion, but are you going to put with it anticipation and excitement and get on that ride or are you going to be struck with fear and decide not to do anything? Especially if you start using that language. I've got friends who use the language of, I'm so anxious, you know. <laughs> it's, yeah. And a lot of us are using, I suppose, um, more negative language to things all the time and then we start going, oh, I'm so anxious all the time. And I think, well, stop saying you're so anxious all the time. <laughs> well, it's one of the things that's um, interesting. If you look at the English language around emotions, we have approximately 50% of our emotion words are negative. 20% are neutral and 30% are positive. Um, it's one of the reasons that I try and teach people more of the positive emotion words because we don't have enough of them. Um, but you're absolutely right. There's some really great research that we teach around managing emotions to do with labeling and being able to accurately label how you feel. Because if you overdo it, if I keep going when I'm nervous, I, oh, actually, I'm really panicked. Yes. Then I'm going to exacerbate my negative emotion. But equally, I had a gentleman on a program once who just went, I'm always okay. I don't get excited, I don't get anxious, I don't get scared or angry, I'm just okay. And it was almost like his team wanted him to have emotions because when he told them off, he'd say, don't do that again, that's not appropriate. Or when they did something well, he'd go, well done, that was great. And everybody was like, oh my goodness, give me something. So emotions are there to support and help us. We just need to use them well. If you're a person where you find you are using a very limited language of emotions, you can, I'm sure you've got the cards where you can yes. build on your emotional language and, and gear it more towards a positive. Absolutely. So what we did is we actually created these cards initially for ourselves and then many of our clients would say, oh, can I buy some? Um, so we now sell them on our shop. And what we've done is we've taken the work of Matt Lieberman, who's a social neuroscientist, who established the, what happens in the brain when we articulate our emotions, when we can actually label them, it helps calm them. So what we've done is we've created some cards around how do you teach people uh, a wider emotional vocabulary because the research tells us that if the richer our emotional vocabulary, the better we are at both perceiving, understanding and managing emotion. And that helps with your self-awareness, is that correct? Absolutely, because um, what we want to do is we want to ensure that people can tell the difference between curious, intrigued and interested or between um, annoyed, irritated, frustrated. You want to be able to tell the difference between those so you know where you're at on the scale and you know then when you need to enact a strategy to help you if you need to change your emotions. That's really interesting. So if you wanted to start working on your emotional intelligence, you listen to this interview and you say, actually, I really want to look into that. What would be your advice for us? Do you go about having an assessment first and moving on from there? Look, it's, it really depends on how much investment you want to sort of make in it. So absolutely doing the mosquito test can be great and you can have an individual debrief. You have to be a certified practitioner to do that. Um, but um, have a debrief um, and find out more and find out how it relates to you. Absolutely, you can do that. But even just all of us, um, sometimes I just say to people, stop every so often what you're doing and try and check in with what you're feeling. Um, now, we have just a vocab list on our website, but again, you can just Google and you can find it. Um, just pick, how do I feel right now? And start getting into the habit of noticing how you feel. 
Um, see if you can find where you feel it in your body. And again, that might sound weird until you stop and do it. Um, but I can guarantee what you'll, what you'll find is that when you stop, like I, I did this as a test once. I um, assessed myself. I had a, um, a tracking device and um, I pinned it to me uh, to, to assess my breathing and things. There's lots of things you can get like this now. And I found that when I started doing emails, my body tensed up. And yet when I was doing other things on my laptop, it wasn't. When I'm facilitating, no problem at all. So certain activities you might find cause you tension because you get, I don't know, irritated at what's on the emails or you, the way you're sitting or there could be a whole bunch of things. So the first thing that I always say to people is stop and start to be aware of how you and others are feeling. Let's imagine you're in a meeting at work and um, you want to start getting better at perceiving emotions Choose a meeting where you're not so, you don't need to be so active and really watch people in that meeting. Watch for the emotional cues because there's such a thing called micro expressions which are involuntary. And you'll find if you really watch people, don't look down at your laptop or your iPad or something, but really watch people. You can often see how they feel even though they might not be prepared to tell you. Yeah, wow. And I think um, I've heard you say that the face doesn't lie. Is that true? <laughs> Well, as I say, these micro-expressions are involuntary. Now, if I'm not looking at your face, that doesn't help me because it's generally in a second. And then if you're really good at the poker face, you can hide it. But I know for me, when I first did my mesquite about 17 years ago, um, my perceiving emotions of faces was terrible. In fact, later when I became one of the master trainers, I realized that that's actually the lowest score you can get when they give you a score. So I was really bad. Um, so I did all sorts of things. I read the book, Emotions Revealed by Paul Ekman, which um, we've got on our site. Um, I read um, a lot of online stuff. I bought myself a CD, um, which now you actually can just do online of the micro-expression testing. And then I even went to America for a couple of weeks and did the full accreditation of every muscle in the face, what moves, et cetera, et cetera. And as our final exam, we had to analyze world poker players. And even world poker finalists can't hide the um, contempt smile that comes on their face when they get the winning hand. So if you get really good, um, you can certainly see an awful lot that people give away. The only thing to bear in mind is you need to make sure you also get good at managing emotions because once you've turned it on, you can't turn it off. And you also have to remember that just because I see a look of anger on your face doesn't mean you're angry at me. And sometimes if people are not good at managing emotions, they then take on board that emotion and think, oh, what did I do? They were angry at me. I said something wrong. Well, it might be nothing to do with me. It might be that you've just thought about something your child did last night that annoyed you. Um, and that look of anger has crossed, um, gone across your face. So, so there's quite a, it's quite a complex um, area. But as I say, one of the first things is just start being aware of the emotions at play. Um, because you will find they're impacting you considerably and they're impacting every meeting, um, every interaction you have, emotions are playing out. And also, um, certainly what we've learned from today is that they're also impacting our physical health. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing that we're only now learning more about. Um, you know, we've just um, produced an ebook on the microbiome and mental health as well. So how what we eat and the bacteria in us actually impacts our mental health. Um, so all of these things all integrate. And that's in terms of the uh, emotional intelligence. Is that the link to the your gut bio? Is that correct? Absolutely. So all the microbiomes that are in you, all the little microbes, um, they all get influenced. So, for instance, if you have um, 
bacteria in you that like to feed on cortisol, um, norepinephrine, things that are linked to stress, they will demand to be fed. If you have bacteria in you that like sugar, um, because that's what you've been feeding them and they've proliferated, you, they will demand to be fed. So what you'll find is those bacteria, I, I make a joke and say they're sort of sitting inside you going, feed me, feed me, feed me. And of course, if you've been feeding the bad stuff, well, your emotions can play a part, absolutely, because if you're experiencing a lot of stress, the um, bacteria that respond to stress are growing and therefore they want more feeding. It's all very exciting. Yeah, that's amazing. So that's new research that's out. So how you think and how you're feeling is generating the bacteria in your gut, which is then calling out and demanding and sending messages of what they want you to continue to feed it. Yeah, in a simple form. So, And it could be what you eat as well. So if you eat a lot of sugar, the bacteria that responds to sugar is, is getting to proliferate, if you like, and therefore it wants more. It needs to be fed. Every living being wants to stay alive in general. So um, they want to be fed. And bearing in mind that can be food, so it can be the nutrients in what we eat, but it can also be our neurotransmitters and hormones because a lot of your bacteria actually produce hormones. They produce serotonin, they produce dopamine, which are often the, the happy hormones, if you like. But they also produce a lot of other things, GABA, etc., norepinephrine. There are um, bacteria involved in um, how that's transmitted from gut to brain, etc., but also the production of some of those things. So um, I spent a week in um, Venice at the Neuroscience School for Advanced Studies sort of trying to get some of the latest research on this, and we've, we've put it in the ebook because for me, understanding how um, what I eat and what I do and how I feel impacts me physically um, can be hugely beneficial. That sounds fascinating. So where do we get hold of that? That's on an e-book on your website, is it? Yeah, so um, if people go to our website, so go to langleygroup.com.au and if you click on the link, uh, the tab called Resources, you'll find on there there's a bunch of white papers. There's an emotional intelligence white paper. There's some e-books, including the new microbiome one. There's even some videos of me um, talking about how the brain works, how emotions work, habits and how we change them. A whole bunch of videos on there that people can access free of charge. That's wonderful. Well, thanks so much for your time today and um, what an interesting, fascinating ending to this interview. Thanks so much. Thank you, Delaine. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to Meditalk. Be sure to have a look at the episode show notes for more information and links that Sue mentioned in the interview. You've been listening to Meditalk, a podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You can follow Meditalk podcast on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, please take a minute to subscribe, rate and review this podcast via iTunes or your podcasting app. If you have any health topics you would like to hear discussed, please email them to danae at meditalk.com.au. Thanks for listening.